welcome to the next episode of Parent Facts. I am here with the very blessed, very intelligent uh, Bishop Barrington E. Smith. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, it's another day the Lord has blessed me. <laughs> <laughs> How will you tell your, uh, the people about yourself a little bit? Well, I'm a, I'm a bishop, I'm a pastor, and uh, my main goal in life is to take care of my family. It's always that's uh, always been my male goal. I've been pastoring for 20 years. I'm also an accountant by profession. But right now, my focus is the church and my family. It's great to hear. Now, um, I've, I've always admired uh, the relationship I see with you and uh, First Lady Smith. Um, you guys really love each other, even after having three kids, <laughs> knowing how much uh, work three kids can be. Um, it seems like you guys really subscribe to the happy wife, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> When you guys got together, how did you come to the idea of how to raise your kids? You know, um, my wife and I, we um, fell in love and we got married and she was the, the most important person in my life. And I believe I was the most important person in her life. And so when children came along, we did not have a roadmap. We, I mean, she got pregnant and, well, we could have a baby. <laughs> and, I mean, so we didn't really have anything um, planned to say we're going to do this and that. We were just navigating as we go along. And But the thing is, we talk. We talk all the time. Mm-hmm. And she shared everything with me. I try to share everything with her. And so anything that comes along with her children, we always seem to be on the same page with it, even if at first we don't understand each other. So that's kind of how it, there's really no clear roadmap for us. And I mean, a lot of people go in without a roadmap to begin with. So it's good to know that even someone in your position, even with no roadmap, you can make it work. Yeah, because we thought it was a blank slate because I believe every child is different and every family is different. And um, I see things in, our, in my family that I didn't want um, in my, like my siblings that I didn't want with my children. And so we come in thinking like, you know what, our, our family is going to be different. Our children are going to be different. We're going to raise them um, the way we believe is best. And we never allowed our parents to get too involved in the upbringing of our children, even though they tried. (laughs) (laughs) We kind of kept them out as best as possible. Now, as far as values, um, where where do you source your values from as far as being a parent? Our greatest value comes from being Christians, first of all, Mm -hmm. right? And um, how we were brought up. And we have very strong Christian values, and we wanted to to pass those on to our children. And so um, the things that, the thing is, we try to make sure they're honest, you know. And so we try to demonstrate honesty to them, um, make sure that they they um they they reflect obedience to us and to their teachers and things like that. So a lot of it comes from the church for us, and we try to make sure we do it by example. Um, and then we start with the first one, which is kindness, and then after her. She has to help the other ones, you know, to imitate or to demonstrate some of the things that she has learned. Mm -hmm. So that's where we started. And we find that as Dylan came along, the last child came along, it got a little bit easier because by then we had a little bit more experience as to how to deal with the challenges that we had. Mm -hmm. Because children will fight against the values we try to implement into them, right? So that's how it kind of worked for us, using the church as as our bookmark, you know, and as to how we should go forward with our children and bringing them up. Now, there is a, a concept that I came across called uh, PKs. Pastors' kids, preachers' yeah. kids, yeah. yeah. Um, so how did you deal with the idea of that 
could be a possibility or how so i am a pk so, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so i'm a pk and i knew the things i hated mm. being a pk the things that bothered us there's 11 of us in my family my brothers and sisters and most of them left the church mm. just having to live with the challenges of being a preacher's kid or being a pastor's kid mm. and so i made up in my mind that i was going to make sure that my children did not experience um, what i experienced as a pastor's kid and so I had to protect them against the church because mm-hmm. the thing with the PKs is that the church tend to want to um, teach your children and expect them to behave a certain way because they're pastors kids. So I try to protect them against the church. I was like a tiger when it came <laughs> to anybody trying to put in, in, impose values on my children. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, they are just children like any other children. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, we grew up in um, uh, a church system where women, you know, don't wear pants and stuff like that. That's especially when I was growing up in the apostolic church. And now, um, as the young people started to, in our era, the young people were wearing pants to school and everything like that. So then I had church folks telling um, my kids, oh, you're a pastor's kid, you can't wear pants to, to, to school. But every other child who was in the church was doing it. So I just stepped in and said, no, 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 you don't get to... To, to, to bring up my child. I made sure that I didn't ha- hold them to values that others were not being held to. So make sure that they had a fair chance and not be stuck with that PK syndrome that many pastors kids have been stuck with and don't go to church anymore. If you have that kind of a foundation, if you're learning from that type of a source, then you're not sitting with a, a solid foundation, obviously. No, and sometimes, for example, as a pastor's kid, your child has to be at church at every single service, Bible study, prayer meeting. And so we had to make sure that they had some balance because the other children weren't coming to every service. And so what my wife would do, my wife didn't come to every service. Sometimes she just stay home with the kids. So now I would come to church so that they also have a life outside of the church. And yeah. so that helps my children to, and I'm grateful, they're in their 20s, and I don't force them to come to church. I mean, because they have never been forced over the years. And that's the really impressive thing, because all three of your kids are involved in ministry in some place in church. So it's it's great to see that those values have really taken root and grown in them. Yeah, and, and I'm happy and I'm blessed because they love church. They love what they do. Um, and I, I, I never try to impose uh, my expectations upon them to a degree where it makes them unable to function. For example, I'm an accountant. I love math. And I realized, I mean, I wanted one of my children to be an accountant. But I realized earlier on that they don't have that numbers passion. It's not going to happen. No, I didn't say, you're going to be an accountant. You're going to... No, I just said, what, what is your passion? What do you want to do? And I support them in whatever era. Even if I didn't think it was going to make them enough money. <laughs> I mean, I still wish some choices were different, yeah. but that's what they wanted to do, mm-hmm. right? And that's my goal because we all get one opportunity at this life, right? And I'm not going to, to allow my children to be living out my dreams. Now, why three kids? Why... No, that's interesting. Because <laughs> my parents, we had 11 of us, and I was determined that we only having two. And so two was the magic number, you know. And I said to my wife, you know what? Two children replace you and me. So at least we have contributed to the world. So one to replace you, one to replace me. We're pretty much sure we're done. We had two girls now. We're pretty much sure we're done at two. And, um, you know, I, I was making preparations, you know, to 
terminate, you know, every possibility of reproduction. <laughs> got you, got you. <laughs> had my apartment booked and everything. And my apartment was booked for February and December. But I said, oops, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and um, the last one just... He was he wasn't a part of the plan. He just came. So it wasn't I can never say that we planned for three. We planned for two, we got three. When you got the bonus. We got yeah. a bonus. Exactly. And we if we are so happy with the bonus. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you're doing this to us, it's better be a boy. <laughs> and I love my I love my bonus. <laughs> now speaking of uh choosing names. Um, now there's uh, an episode that I did where I was speaking about the power of names. Uh-huh. Um, the example that was brought up um, and was shown to me actually by someone in the church, and his name was the coldest. And I had to look up his name, and his full name was the coldest to ever do it. Whoa. Yeah. So basically, that child's under a lot of pressure because if he's not the coldest to ever do it, then he doesn't have the right name. Um, now, some people don't go that deep into uh, what they want to name their child, but I was kind of curious, how did you come across the names for your kids and how important yeah. is that? So um, it's a collaboration of both my wife and I. Hmm. So when our first daughter was born, um, if I remember, if I remember um, correctly, I mean, and I'm not sure if I, that came from my wife. Hmm. Um, I think she was reading somewhere about Queen Candice or something like that, and it just meant something to her. Hmm. right? And I gave the second name because I just just came to me. I mean, I didn't know what it meant. So she's Candice Janessa, right? Okay. It just sounded good, felt good, and we gave it to her. When Sharice came along, um, Sharice was named after someone, right? Okay. So that's how her name came, came along. And I think I gave the first name and her mom gave the second name. Okay. Dylan, I never believed in a in a junior. So I don't believe in naming <laughs> a child. I believe he has his own identity. That's just mm-hmm. me. I don't believe in just saying Barrington Junior. Don't like that. So mm-hmm. we're looking for a name for a boy. And I mean, you, 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 we think about it. You know, you look at different names, and so mine was never. I didn't search a scripture for it. I didn't even know what they meant. It just felt right, and we did it. <laughs> I, can, I can relate to that because um, my firstborn, when we had a few names picked out, we just right. didn't know which one we wanted. Um, when he came out, the second he came out, I looked at him like, "That's a Logan." That's, yeah. yeah. That's who you are. Yeah. And that's what happened to us. Like, oh, that's who you are. Yeah. I mean, because I had other name. I was trying to even, for Dylan, I was trying to get a name close to mine, but not mine, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I thought of different things like, you know, Brenton, Preston, all different things. But mm-hmm. um, it just never happened. And, you know, when he was there, we knew it was Dylan. And that's <laughs> and then his middle name we named after my wife's um, father Anthony because he never had a boy and mm. we, we we wanted to you know do that so that's how he has a Dylan Anthony Anthony is after his grandfather. Um, but other than that, that's how we did the naming um, things. Later on, um, we did some, but we never did pre research names. Mm. But later on, we did research name and thank God. <laughs> Nobody had anything too horrible. We have to do a name change, <laughs> but we were kind of happy once we found out that they all had some great significance. And mm-hmm. don't remember them now, but mm-hmm. if they go research your names, they won't be disappointed. All right, Let's put good. it that way. 
Now, going back to the preparation piece, um, not just with the names, but also um, pre- preparing for the kids. Um, so ha- did you find that with your firstborn, you had the baby books, you oh, looked through the stuff yeah. and like oh, prepared your mind. Yeah. And then when you get to the third child, you're basically like, okay, you can go get a job now. This. Oh, yeah. <laughs> First child, we did all the pictures. We got the photographer to come in. I mean, we did it. the whole works. We're boiling bottles. We're doing all these things. If something drops on the floor, you pick it up, you boil it, you put it back. No, after the second one, you drop on the floor, you pick it up, you wash it off, throw it in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> out, they're not going to die that easily. Mm-hmm. The first one seems breakable. Seems like, you know, anything could go wrong. You know, um, but by the time you hit number three, oh, they ain't going to die, you know. Yeah. So you kind of rough them up a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to throw spirals with them no. or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to play bounce with them, but you're not as careful. Mm-hmm. And then the pictures are less. You know, and so you are captivated every move, the first blink, the first death. Mm-hmm. We don't know the first of the third one because mm-hmm. by then you're not as invested. And mm-hmm. I think it goes with the fact that, you know, um, with our first child, there's uncertainty, there's the whole newness, the mm-hmm. insecurity, you know, and but then you're a little bit more experienced by the time you get to three children. Yeah. So I can't imagine me being the 11th child. My mother probably just popped me out and threw me out. <laughs> <laughs> like you can get a job. You have not oh, yeah. developed. Actually, <laughs> actually um, to be frank, mm-hmm. I mean, my mother never raised me. She gave me to one of her daughters. <laughs> so I thought my oldest sister was my mother. Because oh, she dragged me everywhere she was going, right? Mm-hmm. So my mother was, you know, man, I've had 10 of you. You can have him, right? You know. But I mean, that that is a blessing with having uh, more than one child because they can help. It, they, it takes the pressure off of uh, having to do every single thing. Like with Logan, uh, Logan is very helpful when it comes to the youngest. Right. Um, like if he wants something to eat, he's always there wanting to say, here you go, here, right. you can eat this, you can eat that. My daughter wants to help too, but she's picking stuff off the floor to feed to him. So it's, <laughs> it's a little bit of a balancing act with her. But, um, but yeah, I mean, now going to um, back to the fact family piece. Now, how important was it to have that family support um, looking back? Like, I know you were saying that um, there were things that you tried to block out a bit just so that not raising them yourself, well, not raising your child on your behalf. Right. Um, But, I mean, was it important to have... It is great. We were... um we were um, not as fortunate as some people to have um, grandmother and gra- and stuff, you know, that's right there. We, I mean, we have our grandmother, but she was working, mm. right? So it's only those times when, you know, we could get a weekend here, a weekend there. So for our kids, when my wife went back to work, we actually had living, a living um caretaker that came in that lived in our house for several years I would take care of her children um, so it was a church lady that we had because we figured that was it kept them in the home mm-hmm. we didn't like the fact that they would drop them off at the babysitter and pick, her, pick them up so we did that mm-hmm. um, but we still had a family that we could get a break here and there mm-hmm. um, to help us and that was great um, but they did not have a daily role in the, it's not like they were there with our parents every day and so the influence coming from um from the, the the family the support is there but the influence was still what we our values that were the ones that were placed upon our children and then our, our families will support it okay. so that's kind of what happened okay now i mean it is important to find the balance in that in all that as well I mean, going with family between faith between work um how did you and First Lady find that balance where you guys are looking after each other and looking out for the kids and doing your work and you everything know, else? Um, trying to, because our church started when our kids were very, very small, like three, two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And because we're three, yeah, three, two, and maybe four. And now, so we had church. We had a young church we're building. We had our jobs. We're both working full time. Now we have small children, mm. you know, and then we have a marriage. Yeah. <laughs> and which we have to, to um, nurture as well. And so, to be honest with you, it's challenging. And then at the same time, I was still studying, right? Because mm-hmm. I was still, I wasn't satisfied. And I was studying um, to, to obtain my CPA as well as studying um, for my doctorate after I finished the CPA. So yeah. I was always studying. So it's a very delicate balance. Um, and my wife at times, I mean, she was a rock. Because at times she was alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be just very, very busy. But I try to make sure that um, she was assured of my love. She was assured of my support. And uh, when I came in, um, I try to make sure that I try to take over from the children, um, take over the duties of taking care of the children. But having that in-house living person was a blessing because mm-hmm. when she came in from work, you know, dinner most of the time was prepared and, you know, it was easier. It's not like she was doing everything all by herself. So to be honest with you, that kind of helped us navigate. And we did that because mm-hmm. dealing with church, dealing with all those things, I wasn't around as much as I would have wanted to be around if she was all by herself. That's true. It's, you got to be there for uh, your significant other um, in any case, right? And, and now how, how important was it to have like those date nights that you could get away and just reset, basically? Well, to be honest, I must be honest with you, the, the date nights were pretty much at home in our room, mm. locked up by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people said they have date nights, but we didn't do a lot of um, going out for date nights because mm. we're three children, and but we did a lot of talking up to late. Well, so we talked a lot, and um, so we spent a lot of time together, but not necessarily going out on official days. One thing we always do, though, even from the kids were young, we always go away on vacation together at least once per year by ourselves. And then, you know, as the resources came a little bit better, mm-hmm. we did um, one by ourselves one of the children. And then we also did occasionally, we did a weekend getaway here or the Niagara Falls or stuff like that. Mm. But in terms of weekly date nights, like some couples do, we didn't really have that, you know, we're watching the, the pennies. So we didn't think we want to go spend 50 bucks at a restaurant mm. when we could stay home for $5 and just enjoy each other. So, but yeah. it's still date night. But no, it was date night at home. Yeah, it's developing the relationship, of course. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, I uh, tell folks, and I, I've said it in some of my counseling, it's not so much the fact that you are going out for a date, but that you are a date to each other. Mm-hmm. And so you could go out together and don't talk much, and we could be in, and we spend a whole lot of time getting to know each other, comforting each other, being there for each other. It's not so much where you go, but who you are to each other. And that's what it is. And we also wanted to exemplify that kind of relationship for our children mm-hmm. so that they could see mom and dad in love and still in love with each other. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Now, here's the interesting part now, being a father. Uh, I've heard that humor has changed when you become a father. Um, now, what what does what do your kids have as far as opinion in the humor that you have? Is it like you're a hilarious guy, or is it okay? No, that's enough. I'm boring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm old. I mean, I was I was thinking like forty years old, and they're calling me old, right? <laughs> The year old, right? Mm. So, and the trouble is, I didn't, I don't understand the their lingos. I don't understand their terms. So, if I make an old Jamaican joke, I mean, nobody gets it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I, in other words, I humor myself. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And so they look at you when you come up, you know, my jokes, I don't really try to do them in church either. So, because mm-hmm. my jokes are not jokes, really. <laughs> um, I really don't think that dad has good jokes. <laughs> we like to think we do, but um, I, th- I think the humor for the children is us trying to be humorous. Mm-hmm. So no, they, I can see that. They don't laugh yeah. at the jokes, they laugh at us trying to make a joke. And we just convince ourselves that we they're laughing with us. They're laughing yeah. with us. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how it is. But I'm not really a humorous guy. I mean, I don't have a lot of jokes in there. I would say that I have a whole lot of old sayings, you know? Mm-hmm. So I throw it at them, you know? <laughs> I throw some old Jamaican stuff at them, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, they don't understand it, but I just use it because that's what, that's what I grew up on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for uh, the sake of this episode, what I did was I did find uh, one or two Christian dad jokes. Okay. So um, here's one for you. At what time of day was Adam created? No, oh, what time of day was Adam created? Uh, <laughs> cool after <of> day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're close. It was a bit before Eve. A bit before Eve, okay. <laughs> For evening. All right, okay, I get it. Uh, okay. Not bad, not no, bad. Not bad, not okay, bad. Right. Um, All right, here, how's about this one? What do they call pastors in Germany? Oh, pastors in Germany. German shepherds. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. See you right there. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe I got that one. Okay. All right. Uh, All right here, I like that. Okay. Yeah, one more for you. Uh, how long did Cain hate his brother? How long did Cain... As long as he was able. Yeah, there you go. All right. So, there you go. You're right on point with that joke. So hey, hey, I'm not too bad. Because I'm old. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how much of those my children would get. <laughs> I, think, I think this is probably good for us in our 40s and you know, 50s. I don't know about the 20-year-olds. <laughs> I, would, I would like to try, try that on our 20-year-olds and see what happens. Oh, we'll see what kind of reaction we get, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much again for uh, indulging me in this. Uh, hopefully these dad jokes didn't make me get excommunicated from the church. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, they're good dad jokes. <laughs> I love it. I now, love it. Did you have any uh, parting words or any uh, advice you'd like to give to the people out there? I mean, I just like to say children are great. Enjoy them. I mean, I had my children. I woke up one day and they were all adults. Mm. I mean, they don't want to. They want to spend no time with me. They don't hang out with you after after they hit um, certain age. They're in their rooms doing their own thing. They have their own friends. Thank God, I love my wife. So my advice would be: enjoy your children when they're young. Laugh with them. Play with them. When they want to spend time with you, enjoy it. Because in a few years. You'll be begging to, for them to spend some time with you, and it won't happen. So I'm not at a stage in my life where, you know, I have to beg for a hug or, you know, come give that a hug. Back in the day, as soon as they come in from school, they jump on you, they're, and you're pushing them up. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> you're going to be wanting those attention and that, you know, the, that, that beautiful loving from your children, and you won't be getting it because they're going to grow up. Embrace the embrace. Embrace it because they grow up very quickly. And Mm-hmm. invest in them you know they are the, to me they are the most important assets you have the best gifts you can have and i believe that you know we should spend most of our time investing in our children and not investing in a workplace or somewhere else do not neglect your children for the sake of a job mm-hmm. you know it's best to neglect a job for the sake of your children because you can you can get another job in, you, you can't replace that child those are my parting words. 
Thank you very much again. Thank and you, sir. That's the uh, the episode of Parent Facts. If you guys have any uh, questions or any follow ups that you'd like me to do, um, email is parentfactspodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Facebook. Uh, once again, thank you very much, Bishop Barrington, for uh, being with us. Mm-hmm.